Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by a guest speaker who visited our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. It's a great uh, pleasure for me to introduce our guest speaker this morning, a gentleman by the name of Simon Smart, who is the Executive Director of the Centre for Public Christianity. Bit of a mouthful. He's got a Lebanon's business card. But uh, great to have you with us, Simon. And um, just by way of introduction, uh, let's watch this brief uh, introductory clip. Christianity in the West is highly contested. It retains some profile and plausibility, but it's also deeply misunderstood and can be viewed with suspicion and hostility. The need to promote the public understanding of the Christian faith has never been greater. It's a challenging but vital task to articulate the truth and beauty of Christianity. And since 2007, CPX, the Centre for Public Christianity, has done just that. We speak into mainstream media about current affairs and contemporary culture. We don't want religion imposed and we don't want religion excluded. But what if everyone is religious? It's kind of a beautiful picture of the lived experience of millions of people around the world every day. We produce print, video and audio material, available free from our online library. Arguably it was Christianity gave me my subject. Christianity set before women a true possibility of complete transformation. Martin Luther King, uh, stand up for what's right, stand up for justice. Our weekly podcast, Life and Faith, features interviews with top international thinkers, as well as ordinary people with far from ordinary stories. Gunmen shot and it went from singing to silence. In 2050, will Islam be the biggest? CPX offers a speaker's bureau and runs major events for the general public. When I disagree with someone, I need to express my own views with humility. Pleasure without meaning is vapid. We publish books and educational resources and produce documentaries. In this program, three presenters from the Centre for Public Christianity. 250,000 people gathered here. What they did accomplish is absolutely staggering. Jesus' teaching influenced our world more than we realise. We believe Christianity speaks to every area of life, from politics to ethics, from music to sport, and to the biggest questions of all, life, death, meaning and God. So whatever you're wondering about, we hope you find something at CPX to ponder and to share. Follow us, visit our website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up with all the news from the Centre for Public Christianity. Wonderful. Well, uh, great for us to have uh, you here, Simon, in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, welcome from the, uh, the other side of Australia. Yep. The wise men came from the east, I always say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't it's a wise be man fooled. indeed. But uh, it's great yeah, to have you with us. Let's, you. let's give Simon a warm welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Uh, and lovely to be here. I've been, been here before and I've loved coming here. And it's just really a joy to be, to be back with you. And as you saw there, um, Centre for Public Christianity, we shortened that to CPX, which I'll probably say a number of times today. We are a media company that is trying to promote the truth, beauty and goodness of Christianity to a secular public that has largely abandoned or perhaps you might say forgotten the story 
of Christianity. So that's our task. We do it in lots of ways. Uh, produce books and documentaries. We have public events. We, uh, we write for and appear in mainstream media wherever we can. And we have a massive library of free stuff that you can use in every, any way you'd like to. Uh, a, a weekly life and faith podcast you might enjoy and tons of articles and, and other stuff, videos and so on. So I'll just throw that to you and perhaps after today if you've if you got the spark of interest you might, uh, might want to jump on and, um, at publicchristianity.org and hopefully uh, get some value from, from some of our material trying to reach, reach out to others. But we're going to have a, a Bible reading before we start this topic of public Christianity for a post-Christian, we might say, and anxious age. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But Linda's going to give us the Bible reading from Acts 17. Thank you. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Amen. Thank you. All right, Acts 17. We're not going to do perhaps the normal thing with an expository sermon through that passage, but I am going to be referring to it in my talk. So keep that in mind as we go. Um, in two, it was a few years ago that I wrote a book with, with two atheists and a Muslim. It was called For God's Sake. 
And uh, we're, in this book, what we tried to do is to look at very big worldview type questions from our different perspectives and to engage with each other and disagree and try to be friends at the end of it. We're trying to model a good way of disagreeing and I think we managed to pull that off. It was really a fun experience. I always love trying to compare and setting Christianity next to other big systems of thought and seeing which one looks most compelling. I just have a lot of confidence that Christianity is is that. Um, But I want to tell you about the launch of the book, because this happened um, at Glebe Books, which is in the inner west of Sydney, which according to the census is the most secular part of Australia. So we go in there on the night of the launch, and looking around the audience, the people who came with me reckon there's probably 90% of people were atheists that night. And um, the book was launched by this character, who is um, Peter Fitzsimons. He's very well known on the East Coast, maybe less so over here. He's an ex Australian rugby player, and he's enormous. He's kind of an intimidating figure, about as big as a door. And he's a, he's a historian of sorts, and he is a very outspoken atheist. So he's no friend of Christianity. And early, you know, we were, we were sort of sitting there. I, I like to tell how we um, you know, had scattered in the crowd friends of mine who were looking sympathetically at me. I'm sitting up on this panel. The Muslim woman couldn't come that night. And so I'm the only one there who believes anything. Right? So we're, we're, we're standing there and he, he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and we're waiting for this to get going. I look over and I tried to find my wife in the audience, but I couldn't see her. She was there, but she had her head buried in her hands, um, kind of waiting for me to be skewered. She seemed, it felt like a sort of a lion's den moment. Um, but, you know, I survived. It was quite fun, actually. But th- there was a moment there I, I never forgot. It was very early on, and Peter Fitzsimons turns to me, and he says, Now, Simon, from what I remember of religious studies classes at school, Christianity is essentially about if you're good, you'll go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. Is that a good summary of your faith? <clears throat> How would you respond to that? So I said, no, that's a terrible uh, summary of my faith. Perhaps you should have paid more attention in <laughs> religious studies classes. To which he replied, well, I got 49% and I've been taking my revenge ever since. <laughs> which I thought was kind of a, a good comeback, right? There's a lot of misunderstanding, isn't there, about what's at the heart of the Christian faith today. And let's let's look at this, because I think it's an interesting time for Christianity in Australia. I want to think about the climate. What's the climate as we as we sort of do this work? You know, as we do it, but as you do it too. Uh, A couple of things to say. Well, the first is, let's be honest, it's not Syria, it's not Pakistan, it's not South, South Sudan, Christians in Australia are not facing this horrendous persecution that some Christians actually are around the world. And I do think it's important to, to remember that and acknowledge that. However, it is the case that anyone who tries to speak a Christian voice into the public today will, see, will immediately discover a few things. Just the sheer strangeness of what you what you believe. The foreignness of this to people today, it becomes very clear. And the world's a very different place in that regard, even to when I was a little boy, which was a little while ago, admittedly. But, um, you know, people's 
there's been this sort of rapid and enormous shift away from the church and the Christian faith, people's understanding of their connection to and their feelings about the church. That's changed enormously. So it's not news to a group like this to just mention a few of these things that, that's going to give us a bit of a context. So the census last time was one where we dropped from those ticking the Christian box. Now, however you want to interpret that, went from 61% down, even bigger drop that I was expecting, to 52%. So, you know, it's quite a shift. The no religion category, I'm going to tick, I don't have any religion, has gone up to an all-time high of 30%. These days, people don't get married in churches anymore, which I think is indicative of, of some of this, of the speed with which it's moved. There was a time when I was young, didn't matter if you're a churchgoer or not, if you were going to get married, you'd turn up and you'd go to make, book an appointment with Nick and you might say, you know, we want to get married, can we come and do that in your church? Not anymore. So even in 2000, by 2012, that's dropped down to about 28%. I'm sure it's lower than that now. Do you know that six out of ten funerals are done by a non-religious celebrant today? I find that quite something. Even at the point of death, people are, perhaps in the way that they used to, sort of hedge their bets a little bit. Not so anymore. Six out of ten funerals. There was a community survey done by the National Church Life Survey, uh, a community survey last year, that told us that almost half of Australians never attend a religious service. Four in ten Australians don't pray or meditate. And 30% of people don't think religion's been good for society. Different surveys would be a lot higher than that, by the way. Uh, You get this quite a lot. I'd say also, and I'd say irrespective of what you think of Christian faith, there is a, what I would say is a grave cultural amnesia where people have forgotten where they've come from in, in many ways. And so, especially in the West, I think that's a, a really interesting thing. So there was a survey out last year that discovered that only about half of Australians think that the life of Jesus was important in the history and culture of the world. Half of people think that. I mean, the life of Jesus, I mean, it changed everything. It changed the world enormously. Uh, if you put the word in extremely important, that figure dropped to a third of people. And so you have this sort of lack of understanding of the whole, even if, you know, if nothing else, a sort of a, sh- a sense of the foundations of a lot of what people have come to understand to be true and good about the world. Greg Sheridan, in his book last year, God is Good For You, reflects on this very thing when he says, we have a generation who know almost nothing of the content of Christianity, either what it believes or its history, and therefore they know almost nothing of the history and content of their own civilization. And so you put all these sorts of things in the mix, and we have, what I want to say is we have to recognize these realities. We have to recognize where we're at and respond accordingly. And at CPX, we, try, we spend a lot of time thinking carefully about tone. What's the tone of what we're doing here? And what does this sound like in the ear of the person who's going to come across our material and the things we're going to say? Because we want to get that right if we've got any hope of being heard. This is a message all of us can hear, right? So in light of this, we're going to have a little exercise here. And I hope you'll go with me on it. We're going to imagine that we're going to a barbecue together and we're going to call this the post-Christian Australia barbecue. All right? How do we feel about that? 
We up for it? We're going to scan the backyard before we do so, just to see who's there and who we might encounter as we uh, go to this barbecue. So let me introduce you to a couple of people. This is Karen. Meet Karen. She's the mother of two kids in their early teens. She recently split with her husband of uh, 15 years. And so she's on her own now, bringing up these kids. She's doing a great job, actually. She wants to teach some good values. Above all, she wants them to be kind people. Now, Karen um, loves a drink on a night like this, and she, you know, she's, she's doing okay. She, she loves a laugh with her friends, and she's got friends. She's okay, but deep down, she's a little bit sad and a little bit lonely. When it comes to the question of faith, this is truly foreign territory for her. She knows nothing about Christianity, Re- really nothing. She isn't rejecting the faith at one level. She just has no no meaningful exposure to it at all. Now, Karen represents a part of the population who have grown up with very little frame of reference when it comes to Christianity. And she is one of, get this, two-thirds of Australians who say they do not have a close friend who's a Christian. I find that amazing. Two-thirds of Australians say they don't have a close friend who's a Christian. If you put that up against the caricatures of Christianity, it's no wonder people don't sort of get immediately drawn to it. So there's Karen. We're going to meet Ben. This is Ben. Grew up in the UK. He travelled here in his early 20s and then he decided he wanted to move here. And uh, he's not been ever particularly interested in religion, but, but he's not that hostile either. But here's the thing. He's a journalist for a major newspaper and for a few years his, one of his beats was to report on the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. And day after day after day he was confronted with stories of the church failing to protect children in its care. Now Ben's a pretty... You know, good thinker. He knows this is not the whole story. But he can't help feeling a bit outraged and a bit cynical and suspicious of a faith that's supposed to be transformative. So there's Ben. Now meet Lynn. Lynn is 25. You are going to be introduced to her straight away as you enter the room here for the barbecue. Um, she grew up in Subiaco. <laughs> Thought I'd better put that in. Um, she's the daughter of public servants and she's a science teacher. And she, speaks, she teaches at a local government high school and she's really good at it. The people love her there, the kids love her, she's a great teacher. Lynn thinks that religion of every kind is divisive, violent, and childish. And she says things like, We've grown out of the need for these sort of fantasies of faith, and you absolutely do not need God to be a good person. You'll hear her say that often. Now, Lynn's here representing uh, a group, I'd say it's a passionate minority, actually, who think that Christianity is no longer something just to ignore, but in fact it might be a sinister thing that we've got to resist. So there's Lynn. And then lastly, we have Rob. This is Rob, he's 42. He's in a finance job and he's pretty good at it. He's got two kids and a dog and a four-wheel drive. And a boat. Have you ever met Rob? Um, and he's, you know, he's a good guy. He's uh, had the vaguest of Christian background, backgrounds as a kid. And he goes, turns up to church sometimes at Easter or Christmas. But he mostly thinks of Christians as a bit of a joke. 
He loves his weekends, his holidays and his surfing trips to Bali with his mates. And like many Australians, he is, at least on the surface, I say this, at least on the surface, completely uninterested in religion. He would fulfil the profile of a huge number of Australians when it comes to Christianity. It's a situation that I like to describe as a thin layer of resentment over a sea of apathy. A thin layer of resentment over a sea of apathy. So it's not easy, actually, to bring up matters of faith around Rob. But on his bad days, he does find himself wondering, is there not more to life than just this? He has those moments. So that's where we're going, to the barbecue. I know I'm pushing that a bit, that metaphor, that analogy. But I do think it's a good way to think about this. We sort of put ourselves in the minds of other people, know our audience well, know the people we're trying to connect with. And I I would like to suggest that we might think of doing good public Christianity as being like a welcome guest at a barbecue like that. A welcome guest, and not the ones that people turn up and go, oh my gosh, please not let me have, get stuck with him. All right? We want to be good company. We sometimes describe this as, let's be good company, us Christians. And then we have to think about what does it look like to be good company. Well, here's a few suggestions. You might have issue with these, but let me run a few by you that I think are important. And the first one, if we're going to be good company, is we have to accept that we are outsiders in this environment. Christians in the West once held the kind of keys to power. You know, it was our table that people were coming to. That's no longer the case. I think we have to accept this and recognise it and therefore not speak with an air of entitlement, but speak as someone who's going to be a polite guest in somebody else's house. Just have a think about what that might mean. Accept you're an outsider. Second thing is to understand that you are an outsider in a culture that is largely ignorant of what you believe and suspicious of your motives. This is getting a bit depressing, isn't it? Um, Largely ignorant of what you believe and suspicious of your motives. That should be instructive in terms of how we go about this. Let me just play a little clip from John Stackhouse, who's a theologian. I'm here talking to him about how how people perceive Christianity today. John Stackhouse, welcome to CPX. Good to be here. Now you say that Christianity is weird. What do you mean by that? In what way is Christianity weird? It's easy for people like uh, me from Canada, for you from Australia, to take for granted the Christian religion because of its historical presence in our culture. But we have to remember, I think, that our beliefs, the, the Christian beliefs, are extremely odd. They're not just a little bit strange, they're really strange. These crosses that we take for granted in our churches and in our jewelry and so on, um, really, of course, are instruments of torture and death. And our main guy, Jesus, is the Lord of the universe and the savior of the world and the greatest winner that ever was. And we celebrate this figure writhing in agony as the victim of his oppressors, both the the Jewish and the Roman authorities, he he doesn't look much like a winner. I mean, he looks like he's losing up there, um, and then he dies, which really looks like he's losing. And Christians keep saying, oh, no, no, he's really actually winning. You see, if you just look at it in a certain way, he's actually conquering all the enemies of the world. And 
This is the kind of thing that drove Nietzsche crazy, saying this, this is the transvaluation of values, where up is down and black is white and good is bad. Like, this, is, this is crazy. So it seems to me that Christians really need to remember just how odd our beliefs are if we have any hope of conveying uh, our beliefs to others or even just helping them take us seriously as neighbors and citizens. It's an interesting perspective, don't you think? And one perhaps we don't think of often enough as we uh, are part of these sorts of engagements. At CPX, we sometimes like to say, it's Athens, not Jerusalem. I'm going to talk a bit more about what I mean by that. Some of you might think it's Babylon, not not Athens. But uh, at least this, you know, it's Athens, not Jerusalem. And therefore, we need to think about how we address this topic. So I think Paul's speech that we had read to us earlier when he gets to Athens, is really instructive, actually. I think it can help tell us a few things about how we might go about this task. Now, he's on his second missionary journey. He's been in areas where there's a lot of Jewish people in synagogues, and so they're part of the Jewish diaspora, right? And he's talking to them. But he can assume certain amount of knowledge when he does that, right? The Jesus story builds, of course, on the Old Testament, and he can come to them and sort of say, say the things that are happening that, that are part of that process. When he gets to Athens, it's a very different situation. This is a thoroughly pagan setting. And so people do not have the same sort of frame of reference. And because of that, he thinks, right, well, how am I going to engage with these people? The point being, he's thinking about the communication. What does this sound like to people? That's my point here. So it's a, it's a new context. What are some things that we can note about him in Acts 17? Well, here's a couple. He has, he has real love for the people, real concern for the world, if you like, and the people that he sees as leading misguided lives of idol worship. He wants to help them with this. And he has to be thoughtful about a way into the conversation. And so this is how he begins. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're really religious. Now, it's ironic. It's meant to be ironic. But he's trying to curry favor with them. And he starts with big worldview questions of God and meaning and our place in the world and the universe. And he's working towards something sharper, towards the person of Jesus and what place he has in all this. And you'll notice that he's, he's trying to find a language, he's trying to touch on the stories that this culture tells itself. So he quotes from their philosophers and their poets. He's finding points of contact. Where, do they, where are they sort of itching? And, and, and the, we, of course, think Christianity speaks into all these places. And you can do this if you're thoughtful about it. So there's that, there's that sort of axis, it's Athens, not Jerusalem. So I'm continuing with my points here about you know, ways we can, we're going to be a, understand it's that you're an outsider, culture that is uh, suspicious of your motives and ignorant of what you believe. But we want to try to be good company in that. There, there are, not only is it all those things, but there are rumours of a bad past. Your and my past, if you like. The Christian past. If you think of Ben, our journalist, and the Royal Commission stuff, but there's not just that. If anyone pays any attention to history, they'll come up to you when you say you're a Christian and say, oh, yeah, great. What about the Crusades? What about the Inquisition? And the support of slavery and the corrupt popes of the medieval, you know, all this sort of stuff, and the oppression of women and the hoarding of wealth. And you know, there's lots of stuff to draw on here that is true and accurate, and we need to reckon with it. 
There are rumours of a bad past. And so the documentary that we uh, have made, which we talked about, is on tonight, For the Love of God, how the church is better and worse than you ever imagined. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll bring your friends who aren't believers. Let's have a good conversation about this because it's something we've got to engage with. So, but we want to be good company, even still. Well, there's lots of things that involve, are involved in being good company, but I would say this one is an important one for us as Christians. We've got to become good listeners. We have to be, we're not always being good listeners, is, is the truth. It's a crucial thing. And in any guest at any kind of party, there's nothing worse, is there, than the person who just turns up and talks incessantly about themselves and what they believe or what they, you know, their life and doesn't pay any attention to anyone else. Well, we don't want to be that sort of person. But we want to be the guest who comes in and asks the right questions and engages in people's lives. What are the things that they are fearful of? What are their disappointments? What are they heartbroken by? Good listeners entering into people's lives and their struggles. And at CPX, we take great encouragement from the book of 1 Peter. I think it's a good book to read if you're thinking about this topic because it's addressing a situation where it's becoming increasingly difficult to be a Christian. But there's, there's, a, there's a way of doing this, says Peter, and he addresses the people and he says many things, but at least this, I think it's important. But in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. Right, that's the basis for everything else that comes next. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, importantly, but do this with gentleness and respect. People don't feel respected by Christians, actually. I get this all the time. We've got to find a way we can truly do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, we like to talk about the, the, this, this is uh, um, picking up on an essay that uh, Miroslav Volf, a theologian, wrote on 1 Peter called Soft Difference. It's quite a famous essay. And the image you could attach to this is the massive high jump mat. Soft difference. Here's the, here's the presence, the Christian presence in the world. It's going to be like this. Now, if you know anything about high jump mats, you'll know this about them. They are substantial. Right? There's something there. It's not easily moved. There's substance to it. There's something formidable in the high jump mat. But to come in contact with the high jump mat is a pleasant experience. In fact, it's a life-giving experience. Coming into contact with Christians should be like that. Our life-giving experience. It isn't always people's experience, but it should be, shouldn't it? How can we be that kind of difference? And remember, Paul says, Peter says, I should say, um, set apart Christ as Lord. If we truly think Christ is Lord, we say it a lot, but if we really believe it, then that will say something to you about how you'll engage in these situations. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful. You can kind of be confident, but not arrogant. And it will bring a certain posture to the way you do things. Not fearful, not kind of defensive, and not angry. Set apart Christ as Lord. What do we offer? What do we really offer the post-Christian Australia environment. I want to say an awful lot. Uh, when he wrote his book, Australia Reimagined, the social researcher Hugh McKay painted a picture, a very recent book, painted a picture of Australian life that 
would tell you that all is not well, that people are struggling, that there are real issues for people. A third of us are likely to be affected by mental illness in our lives, he says. The biggest killer for people under 40 is suicide. In this land that's been gifted with lavish material prosperity, for some reason there are deep issues that lead to things like that. Astonishing, don't you think? Biggest killer for people under 40. And he he lists a whole lot of other sort of depressing things. Um, And he says this, we're more self-absorbed, more competitive and more socially fragmented than ever before. And it's a bit like, and I don't know if any Billy Bragg fans here, but the luxuries disappointments. The disappointments of materialism to really answer that deep longings that I have. And our culture seems less and less equipped to speak about these things, to talk about meaning and purpose. People will talk more openly about their sex lives than they will about things like spiritual questions. What's going on with that? And we seem to have been reduced to this weirdly material uh, way of thinking about ourselves too. The physicality of human beings rather than anything beyond that to the transcendent. And there are people who are influential who talk like this. I'm going to show you a 30-second clip, if it works here, of an atheist philosopher talking about this very question. There is no God, he says, and therefore all these things must be true. Have a listen to this little run of things. Is there a God? Of course not. What is the meaning of the universe? It doesn't have any. What is the purpose of life? Ditto. Is there a difference between right and wrong, good and bad? Uh, There's not a moral difference between them. Uh, What is the nature of the relationship between the mind and the brain? They're identical. The mind is the brain. Is there free will? Not a chance. Does the lessons of the past have any particular bearing that would help us cope with the future? Less and less if it ever had any at all. We could do a whole you know, talk unpacking each of those things. We won't do that. But, but you under, did, did you pick that up? You know, if there's no God, then yes, the mind is the brain. Right? There's no soul or anything else. There's no objective difference between right and wrong, good and bad. Do we have free will? Not a chance, he says. I mean, all these things are actually true, I believe, too, if there's no God. And I like to gently, I think this is helpful for us, Find ways to be in good relationships with people where we eventually are able to to tease out the implications of our belief or non-belief. You see, I think offering the Christian story for consideration, the greatest, most surprising story ever told, is a huge challenge, but it's an enormous gift to people who are struggling, in a way sort of grieving, a profound loss. I mentioned the book launch at the beginning of this talk, and I want to tell you something else that happened that day. So we had uh, my, my wife's lifelong friend from primary school came along that night, and she's a lifelong atheist. And she said to, to me, I'm coming along, but I'm cheering for the atheists. And I said, okay, fair enough. You know, come, it'll be good to have you there. But when she heard, because we, we addressed this question, what does it mean to be a human being? When she heard my colleague, Jane Caro, describe her understanding, he's an atheist, her understanding of what it is to be a human being, and she says, a human being is no more special than a rose or a starfish or a horse. And we ought to face up to that. We're just another iteration of evolution. 
I used to say to Jane, and you know, sometimes on panels and things, do you, do you kiss your daughter at night and tell her that? And she goes, absolutely I do. Meaning, we've got to face up to this thing. There's no God, and those things have to be true too. And our friend who'd come along, about a year before, had a stillborn child. And this was you know, tragic, profoundly impactful on her. And of course it was, right? And when she heard this description, she said, you know what? I don't know what I am, but I'm not that. I can't believe that's true. That human life cannot be just that. Well, if she would stick around long enough to ask me what I thought about it, what would we tell her? Well, Christianity tells you that every single life is made in the image of God. And that's why it's so precious. It's a bestowed worth. And that makes sense. I think that would make sense to her and resonate with her. These are grand things that we need to tell people and find ways into that sort of conversation. I don't want to go on too long or I'll overstay my welcome, but I do want to just say a couple of things to finish. I think, uh, given all those things that I've talked about, it's always been the case, but it's even more the case now. L- Christian lives lived of, of faith, lived out in the community, serving the common good, become even more essential than they ever have before. And this is what I'm urging us towards. Earlier in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day he visits us. What's being called for is what I sometimes call Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. Getting stuck in. We've got a visual illustration of this here in front of me. This sort of thing, right? Which my sense is here, this is a great community for this sort of, this exact, exact stuff. It's very hard to argue with someone's story, and especially when that story involves serving other people. So I want to finish with this story, though which is of the Christian surfers in our area where my kids are involved. This is a story about a whole bunch of kids. I can't show them that, but I'll show you their surfboards instead. Um, Christian surfers' youth is uh, attached to a, sort of a beach near, near us and, and sort of engaged with our church as well. And so my kids who are teenagers go along to this. And it's a fantastic group. But I went along recently to a, a parent's afternoon tea to where they're going to just tell us what we're going to do in the next you know, few months and hear a bit more about what Christian Surfers does. And, uh, you know, we went along and had a, had a bit of cake and coffee or whatever. It was good fun. And then they asked the guy to stand up and tell us why he um, uh, lets his kid go to Christian Surfers. And up got this guy who I hadn't seen before. And I thought, oh, he, he kind of looks like he's lived quite the life, this character. And uh, I thought, who is this? And he, got, he gave this beautiful talk, actually. And he said, and he gave a bit of context to his story. He said, when I was young, I was one of the founders of the nude Bondi surfers. And I uh, hate to think what that was like. But he said, when the Christian surfers used to turn up at Bondi, we used to throw eggs at them. You know, as a kid, he was sort of you know, that type of person. But here he is now with a 13-year-old son who he loves sending to Christian surfers. Well, why is that? Well, he says well, he was going along the beaches trying to find a surfing group for his, for his son. And he came across some groups, but it was very clear from the outset that it only, they only really wanted you if you were a really good surfer. And he stumbles across the Christian surfer's tent, and it's 
full of kids of all different ages, and the leaders are there just you know, being part of the fun, and they're barbecuing, and they're welcoming you in. They say, come on, mate, we'd love to see you. doesn't matter what you like. There's beginners and good surfers and whatever else. And they brought him in, and he said it was incredibly welcoming. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is so good, oh, great. Then he says what happened a few weeks later. His son got terribly sick, like really seriously sick. So he ended up in hospital out at Westmead in Sydney. Now, you need to know this detail of the story because Westmead is about as far from the beach as you can get if you're, and still be in Sydney, uh, considered in Sydney. And uh, so he's out there in the hospital. He's out there for a good while and he's having terrible trouble getting this infection out of his leg. And the Christian surfers guy rings him up and says, oh, a few of us want to go and visit the boy. Would that be okay? And he said, oh, sure. So it turns out they packed a little minibus full of about 20 or 30 kids, a couple of cars, and they all went out on a Saturday afternoon and they get out to the thing and they surround this kid and they're, you know, high fives and all the stuff that they do. And the dad was absolutely stunned by this. And then he said, they said, could we take him into the chapel and pray for him? Okay, this guy's not a, he's not a religious. He says to me, you know, we're not, I'm not a religious person. They take him into the chapel, they all surround him, they pray for him. This dad was, he had tears in his eyes as he told this story. And then it got even weirder because then the kid in a few days got really quickly and inexplicably better and was discharged from the hospital. And the dad was standing there going, I don't know, he said to us, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a religious person, but something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but it's powerful. And I, and I sat there... I was so you know, proud of this local bunch of grommets, they call them. I thought, this is one of the best recent examples of a Christian community making a positive difference in people's lives. And it happens all the time, right? It's happening here, no doubt. But it was so natural, so unforced, and so compelling. And I think a crucial quality of this is a true love for the other person, not seeing them as an object, but to love them and sort of love them into the kingdom. Public Christianity is a challenge today. The environment into which we try to speak is not always receptive. There's heaps of misunderstanding about what we're mostly about. But I want to encourage you to say there are longings of the human heart that have not changed that Christianity speaks powerfully into those longings. And we've got to find ways of connecting with them. And at CPX, we're big believers that that will happen. But we've got to be engaged in people's lives so that they're drawn to the person of Jesus. And that we are, as, as the book of 1 Peter will say to us and encourage us, always prepared, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And being the kind of presence and living the sort of lives that invite that question. Might we do that? Can we pray just to finish? Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the work that they do, uh, serving each other but serving the the common good. We pray as this is a a society, a culture, people that have in many ways lost touch with you. We pray that your people would be great witnesses in showing people your love and really living, living that out 
in such a way that draws people to you. May this community be that kind of people as well. And give us your strength and your spirit to do it. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.